If you would, you can open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and that is where we're going to be this morning. Um, one thing you can be praying for uh, tomorrow and Tuesday, uh, all of our pastors, along with our wives, are headed up to Santa Barbara for a conference just to be refreshed in the Lord. And so be praying for us just that we would go and find fellowship with other pastors and, and just uh, get some good time uh, being ministered to and, and finding fellowship together. Sound good? Excellence, excellence. And uh, Steve, how are we doing? Do you want people to crunch? So we're going to do what we call the Calvary Crunch. If you've got like a seat in the middle, like right those ones, if you could crunch them in, just because in case we need seats on the edge. So, um, or just, yeah, just be ready in case somebody needs a seat. So it's a good problem to have. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, First Peter uh, chapter 1, if you're there, um, let's get right into it. So we are in our second week of our study through this letter that was written by the Apostle Peter. And I want to remind you just from the start what Peter called these Christians that he was writing to. If you look in uh, verse 1, you'll see, at least in the ESV, this is what he calls his readers, which um, he calls us this, is that he calls them elect exiles. And last week, we talked through the meaning of that name that is given to believers, that as elect exiles, we are citizens of two countries, We have a citizenship that is in heaven and a citizenship that is here on earth. And we are chosen by God out of this world, and yet we remain in this world. And and as we live as elect exiles, we, we have this sense that we are just passing through this world, never quite settling down here because we know that heaven is our true and final home. Amen? Amen. And the reason why heaven is our true and final home is because of what uh, Peter says in verse 3. He says, because we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through Jesus, we can have the hope of heaven in our hearts. That one day we will be with our resurrected Savior. And so we feel this pull, right? This pull to be with Jesus where he is. To see him as he is and to be like him in resurrection glory. And so we're just going to kick off this morning with this heavenly truth to give you an eternal stoke. Are you stoked for heaven or what? Amen. Good. Yet there's still that tension, right? That tension where, where we feel that as though, yeah, we're going to heaven. We're just sojourners, pilgrims, exiles passing through, and yet we feel this belonging to earth, that God has us still in this world. And even though we know it's only for a short time, I, I hope you know that. I hope you realize that life in this world is like a vapor. And, and if you live, just say, to 80 years old, 90 years old, even if you're to live 100 years old, a good old age, it is still a very short time in comparison to eternity. And we know that in this time that we're living in, especially if you've lived a lot of life already, you can recognize what Jeremiah talks about in chapter 9, verse 7, where he says, seek the welfare of of the city that God has sent you into exile. You know, Jeremiah was speaking to the Jews who were taken out of the city of Jerusalem and placed into the city of Babylon. It wasn't their home, and yet they were to make it their home. 
And that still carries the same truth for us as elect exiles. Heaven is our true home. And yet we make our homes here on earth as elect exiles. We know that there is a new and heavenly Jerusalem that is coming, and yet as we live in this sort of Babylon, so to speak, we live having families. We go to school, we play, we eat, we rest. We figure out what our life's work is going to be. We are given in marriage. We have babies, and we have grandbabies, and and when you have grandbabies, you spoil them to ridiculous ends because that is life, and life is to be enjoyed in all of its beauties, in all of its relationships, and we are to worship and to serve together in the church of the living God. We're to have a heart to bring more people into this kingdom that more people would have the hope of Jesus in their heart, that, that we would be ambassadors of God's kingdom in this world. And so life in this world, even though it's not our final home, we live as exiles, not escapists, right? We don't, we're not escapists. We don't preach to this world, you know, you're going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> you know, we preach to this world that Jesus came to save sinners, and I am one of them. And he has saved me, and he can save you, and you can believe upon Jesus. I love what uh, my pastor from Santa Barbara says in his commentary on this section. He says, in speaking with those who don't know Jesus, we shouldn't just tell them of the agonies of hell they will experience, but also the glories of heaven that they will miss. Amen? As elect exiles, what we're to be is we're to be the very best citizens of this world because we represent heaven to this world. And so heaven being our final home, we ought to be well acquainted with it. And scripture reveals to us what heaven will be, and yet even then, we don't fully exactly know all that it will be. It'll be better than we could even think or imagine. And so how are we living as believers? How are we actively seeking to navigate life faithfully here on earth while seeking heaven. Now, Jesus said to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And and when believers do that, people around us get to experience at least a piece or a part of what heaven will be like. I I even think in the worship time, maybe it was Nick or Benkai, that there's a slice of heaven. We get experiences of slices here but yet it's not all that it is yet. So we're not all the way yet, and and if we know anything about living life, we know that life as a Christian in this world is sometimes marked by difficulty, amen? Amen. Amen. And this is especially true, right, if you're seeking to faithfully follow Jesus in a world that opposes you, where we know from 1 John that they hate you because they hated him first. And so life on earth can be good, and we desire for life on earth to be good and to enjoy the acceptance and the, the freedoms and the loves that can be uh, existing in the world, but it will never be like heaven. Even the best life you can live now here on this, in this world It will never be like heaven because our experience in this world is marked by things that are perishing, like our bodies. (laughs) We've been playing softball with with a couple people from the young adults, and I realize I'm moving beyond that young adult phase. 
because I had a deep pain in my thigh this last week that I couldn't get rid of. (laughs) And there's things that are defiling, right, because of sin and death in this world. And there's things that are fading because we are not yet glorified. And that leads us into verse 4 that Peter talks about heaven, that it'll be altogether different than what we've experienced living in this world. He says, Let's back it up to verse 3, actually. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so if you're a Christian, that's what's happened to you. You have been born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. God in his mercy has given you new citizenship. You've been accepted into the kingdom of heaven. You know where you're going when you die. And then it tells us in verse 4 that when we get there, that when we get to heaven and we get to have and grab hold of all that Jesus has promised us, it says that there will be an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know, your inheritance, if you are in a family, is based upon your position in a family. And maybe at a certain point in your life, you have received an inheritance. Or maybe you know that there is going to come one day a, a certain inheritance from your family. A fun thing to do is to, to Google search crazy inheritance stories. There's a lot of really fun ones. One of my favorite ones, uh, well, one that I thought could possibly have happened to me. I was a, uh, worked in restaurants for 10 years as a server, and there's stories of, of people giving their inheritances to their favorite restaurant server, you know. I even worked in a, in a restaurant at a senior living community, and I thought, you know, maybe, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just, someone's just gonna love me so much, no definitely not how that works, right? Uh, I read how there was this one woman who, uh, in her living trust, she wrote that she wanted her dog uh, to have the majority of her inheritance so that it could get frequent puppy spa days. And her children, if they wanted their portion of the inheritance, had to make sure that the the dog got its its spa days. Whether they're true or not, it's funny. There was one teenager who inherited a private island from an uncle he had never met. And so even the greatest inheritance stories on earth, they they come nothing close to what is kept in heaven for believers. See, our inheritance in heaven, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, meaning nothing compares to it. Do you notice that Peter described our inheritance not by things that it is, but by things that are not. See, because the best possessions we can have in this world, they will perish. The best experiences you can have in this life, they'll be defiled. The best beauties that you could ever behold, they will fade away. And so the, the things of this world perish and are defiled and are fading away And so heaven's inheritance is described by something that you've never experienced in your life. Because there is in eternity such a security, such a a wonderful presence of just being with God. Ultimately, our inheritance of heaven is Jesus. And if he is 
the eternal, immortal, you know, if God is the invisible one, he is our inheritance and we will forever, for all of eternity, behold his beauty that will never fade away. Then look at verse five. In the context of talking about you and the inheritance that you will receive, it says who, you, talking about you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only is your inheritance in heaven secure, but you are secure if you believe in Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you have eternal salvation, which gives you this eternal security knowing that you have an inheritance in heaven kept for you, and it'll be kept. And you are secure because God in his power will keep you in faith. See, what kind of God would we have if you couldn't have security in his promises? That wouldn't be a God at all. That would be a liar if he told you, I have an inheritance for you, and then you never actually were able to receive it. You know, that is something that I could say has happened to me personally. And, and I know that even though the promises here in this life and in this world, they might come up empty, you might come up disappointed, God will always fulfill his promises to you. And you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you will be with God and he has something wonderful for you. Now, if knowing these promises if knowing that not only is your inheritance secure in God, but also that you are secure in God, what does that do for you? Well, I know for me, it guards me from being too earthbound. It guards me for hoping for things in this life that ultimately are gonna disappoint. It, it, it keeps me longing for heaven. It keeps me hoping for what will forever satisfy, even if I don't have them yet. And so we want to be guarded in these promises, and we want to be kept in these promises. Now look at verse 6. It says, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What Peter is doing here now as he kind of transitions into something of another point is that, is that he's connecting with the elect exiles in what is the common experience of mankind. Peter is able to talk about this because he knows from experience. And he knows that these experiences of life are only for a little while. He says that though now for a little while, he, he still has his eyes on heaven, and yet he's coming back down to earth, talking about that experience of what it means to be an elect exile, and he's saying that, that look, although we hope that life, for the most part, would go smooth for us, it's not always the case. There are times where God sees it necessary that we are grieved by various trials. And you know, as you look at this scripture, verse six, you would think that the beginning of the verse and the end of the verse uh, can't stand together. It says, in this you rejoice that you have been grieved by various trials. Wait, hold on. 
that's coming out of the same sentence. But doesn't that come out of the same life and the life experience that we all, that we all know of? See, as Christians, as elect exiles, we can rejoice in grieving. Like, really, this is possible, and this is what we're going to talk about now. Because, look, as I even look out at many of you guys, and, and I recognize faces, and I know, you know, some of your stories, at least I'm starting to get to know some of your guys' stories, I know that a lot of you guys have been walking with Jesus for some time. You know, so, some of you guys are new believers, and you just got like a, you know, strut in your step, just like life is good. And we should all, like, if you're a seasoned believer, like, just look at a new believer, right? Because there's, we all, we're, we're going to heaven, you guys. Like, we have the hope of eternity in our hearts. So put a little, you know, pep in your step. But if we know anything about the reality of that long life of discipleship with Jesus, we know that there are trials. Literally what Peter says when he says various trials, it could be translated trials of many colors. Trials of many colors, many kinds, various trials. That just covers a lot of ground. (laughs) Just blanket statements. And you know, for me, I, I, I felt, you know, because... I'm also a human being who faces trials. I thought I'd share just a couple recent trials that I've been through and what I've learned through some trials. So I recently would say that I went through a trial. I wouldn't say it was like a terribly difficult trial, but it, you know, in sort of like last month, I felt like I was in a trial. I, was, I got sick, and so physically, I felt like I was in a trial. And then being sick, I just... Felt like I got hit emotionally. Like emotionally, I was just feeling really down for no real apparent reason. And then came the worst part. Because I can deal with being in a physical trial or an emotional trial, but then I felt like I was in the midst of a spiritual trial. I felt far from God. You ever feel far from God? <laughs> so I felt far from God. And, and I examined my heart. There wasn't any sort of certain sin that I became aware of because I know what to do in that situation. I felt far from God because there's something of sin in my life that I'm holding on to and I'm aware of it and I'm clinging on to it. I know what to do in that, life, in that situation. I know to confess my sin and then God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I know how to draw near to the Lord and the Lord draws near to me. Like I, I know how to go through those times, but just in this sort of week of my life, I felt physically down, I felt emotionally down, and I felt spiritually down. I just felt like my whole being was in a trial. And I was grieved by that. I I don't like being in that kind of place in my life. But then I came through that, obviously. And I rejoiced that I was in it. And the reason why I rejoiced that I was in that trial, probably one of the first of trials since sort of living down here in Palace Ferries where it was like, I just kind of felt like I got hit with it all right there, was that I rejoiced in what it taught me as a pastor. Because... It renewed my compassion. It made me realize that, you know, although I was only sick for a few weeks, that there are people who deal with chronic sickness for long periods of time, who live with constant pain in their bodies as their bodies are fading away. 
And it made me all the more hopeful for that place where in heaven there will be no more sickness, there will be no more pain, and every tear will be wiped away. And then I realized that even though I was emotionally downcast, I I was glad I knew what to do. You know, I went to Psalm 42, which says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? You know, if you are emotionally down, I think one of the best practices you can do is to preach to your own soul. Say, soul, why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? You might not even know. You might not even have an answer, but you can preach to your soul and you can say, yet hope in God. Praise him, my savior, my king. And so I did that, and it, and it made me, again, compassionate for people who on the regular experience deep emotional pain and lack hope, and they don't realize the promises of God that can lift a soul. And then lastly, I realized that although I felt far from God, I, I knew that I wasn't. I know that even though in those times when you feel far from God, I'm thankful that my relationship with God is not based on how I feel, but on who God is and what he has promised to me. So I got through it, I drew near to the Lord again, but it made me compassionate, again, as a pastor, to be able to preach to those who are far from God. And look, being far from God sucks. Like, it just, it's terrible. Like, worst feeling ever. But it doesn't have to be that way. And for me, I just rejoice in the reminder that it doesn't have to be that way for people. And so I had a trial. And look, it was my trial. And you're like, all right, so you got a little sick, you got a little down, and you felt a little far from God. But do you know what I've been through? And look, the color of my trial might not be the color of your trial, but we've all been through trials and we can all come to that common experience of knowing what is on the other end of it. You know, six months ago, I faced probably one of the hardest trials of my life when my son was born and just rejoicing and and having a new little baby in this world and then all of a sudden he was whisked away into the NICU and for about a week he fought for every breath and like that song we sang about you know I don't even Nick's gonna sing it again because it was so good Um, but rejoicing with every breath And, and to think of the, the cherish that I have of every breath that is in my son's lungs. And yet through that time, you know, for the first time ever, my wife and I had to sit and we had to look at each other and we had to say, you know, if, if Jesus takes him home, we're gonna be okay. Like we're gonna hope in God. And you may have had a little one go to be with Jesus or a husband, or a wife, or a mom, or a dad. And you know what it's like to go through a trial of loss. And you, like, you long for heaven because you would want to be with them where they are, and yet God still has you here in this world for a purpose. And so whatever colors of trials you may go through, what can we do but rejoice? To rejoice in knowing not so much as rejoicing in the, in, like, in the pain, but the outcome of the pain. And that's what Peter gets into now in verse seven. 
It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, or though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so you read this and maybe like, maybe you're in a trial right now. There is a testing of your faith right now and you're wondering, oh man, I don't know if I can keep this up. Like I know God has promised that he will keep me in his love, but man, I'm having a really hard time keeping myself there. And you're in the trial, you're in the testing, you're in the fire and it's hard and these are the promises of God that you have to lean into. So you gotta say, okay, Peter, there's some things that you're telling me here. What are you saying? And he's saying that if we go through a trial, or if we go through it, should I say when we go through a trial, right? I think that would be a more proper thing to say because if we have become partakers in his glory, we also become partakers in his suffering. So provided that you suffer with him, when you go through the trial, God sees it as necessary that there would be a testing to see the genuineness of your faith. Look, did Peter ever have a trial in his life? Peter had faith. Peter was a man that was full of faith, but he had to have that faith tested. Peter's not speaking here from lack of experience. He knows what it's like to have the faith tested. Peter was the guy who walks on water. Peter had faith. Peter was the guy who sank in the water. And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Peter was the guy who said, I will not deny you, Jesus. Even if I have to die with you, Lord. Peter had faith. And, G and then Peter said, I don't even know the man. I don't even know the, to a like, little girl. <laughs> I don't even know the man. Peter lacked faith. Peter knows the highs and the lows of faith, but Peter had faith. Why? Because Jesus kept him. But Peter had to keep himself in that faith. And Peter found that as his faith was being tested, it became more genuine as it was refined through the fire. We were all praying this morning. We talked about how gold is refined. What happens with gold is you melt it down, and what rises to the top are the impurities, and the impurities are scraped off, and then the gold becomes more pure over time. And one of the ways that a, a, a goldsmith, somebody who's making gold, will know if it's been purified is if they can see their own reflection in the gold. And that's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking to test your faith so that he can see the reflection of himself in your life because we are being conformed into the image of Christ. And as we mature as believers, we need to have the theology for this. As we mature in Jesus, we need to understand that our lives are going to be tested through the trials of life so that we could look more and more like Jesus until we're with him. And we rejoice in them. Why do we rejoice? Because we rejoice in anything that makes us look more like our Savior. Amen? Amen. So, he says here, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some translations say, when you come to the end of your faith, and I like that, because faith will end. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, abide in these three things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The reason why love is the greatest is because it will always remain, even in eternity. But when we get to heaven, there's no more need for faith, and there's no more need for hope. Those will go away. Faith and hope are only for this life. Because you only have faith and you only hope for what you do not see. And so if we're in heaven and we're seeing what we've always had faith and hope for, Jesus face to face, then faith and hope are no longer there. And the end of your faith is praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, revelation to see him as he is. And when you see him as he is, and you are like him in resurrection glory, all that there will be is praise, glory, and honor forever and ever. Amen. And you read the scenes of heaven. You go to Revelation chapter 5 in heaven, which just gives us a little peering into heaven. You see that around the throne, night and day, they never cease to give praise and worship to Jesus. He is enthroned in glory as everything and everyone bows in his presence, singing praise and giving him glory and honor. And look, if you have, this might sting a little bit, but if you have no interest in giving praise, glory, and honor to Jesus now, then what interest do you think you have in heaven? We praise him now in faith. We glory in him now in faith. We honor him now in faith. But when faith and hope are gone and all that remains is love and love for God, in his kingdom, our inheritance will be to give praise, honor, and glory to King Jesus forever and ever. So start now. Eternal life begins the moment of belief, and then it never ends. So if you have eternal life, that kind of living will begin now, even though we live in that tension, right? The now and the not yet. We have eternal life now, but we know it's not yet completely what it will be. Then verse eight and nine. We'll end on this verse. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love this verse because it's talking about us, church. You know, this, this verse actually didn't even apply to Peter. You know, Peter actually got to see Jesus incarnate. What a privilege. But Jesus talked about to his disciples those that would come later after he had ascended who will believe in having not seen him. Ooh, that's us. We believe that he existed. We believe that God came from heaven to earth, manifest in the flesh, 
testified about in scripture from men like Peter and Paul and James and all the rest. We believe the testimony of Christ. They're eyewitnesses to the real, true reality of Jesus. And I mean, I think about this powerful statement. You can't see him. We don't see him, but you love him, don't you? That's wild that for us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have given your life for something that you have never seen. And, and there's something about that where when you have real faith, when you have real hope, when you have real love that comes from knowing Jesus, there's just something about it, you guys, where you cannot shake it, isn't it true? Like you can't shake it from your bones that you know Jesus and you love him. You love him. Even in the hardest moments of your life, and the times when it feels like there's a big, fat cloud blocking your sight of God. You're just like, but he's there, and I love him. You know, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, and you're fearing no evil, because you know that on the other side of a mountain, the only way there can be a shadow is that there's the sun on the other side casting against the mountain. But there's going to come that day where we will see him, we will be with him, and we will be like him. And it's just an amazing promise. John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. And if you want to know what faith is, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives a clear definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're waiting to see God to believe, you're never gonna believe. Because when you see him without faith, you'll only see him as a judge. But if you see him with faith now, then when you see him, you'll see him as a savior. Because you know that your sins were judged at the cross. And so by faith, we know who God is. By faith, we love him, even when we've never seen him. By faith, we rejoice with inexpressible joy, even in the midst of the greatest difficulty, because great are the precious promises of God to those of us who believe. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says this, for in this we hope, for in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Elect exiles. That's what you are if you're a Christian. Elect exiles. Do you love Jesus? You love him. Even though you've never seen him because you are in exile. You know, there were people that were born in Babylon who never actually saw Jerusalem but they heard the testimonies of those who did see it. And then there came a day when they came out of exile and they went back to Jerusalem and those who had never seen it got to see it. And the same is true for us that there are people who have seen Jesus and though you've never seen him, you love him and there's gonna come a day when you will see him. You will see him as he is, you will see him face to face and you will love him now and you will love him then. I'll end with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse six and nine where Paul talks about living in that tension. 
as an elect exile, living both here on earth and yet longing for heaven, and we'll end on this verse. It says, so we are always confident. Even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be with we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from our body, our goal is to please him. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. We thank you for the hope of heaven that dwells within the hearts of those who believe you, Jesus, by faith. And God, I pray for anyone here today who has heard the testimony of Jesus and the promise of of a secure hope in heaven, and that they want that. Jesus, you said, come to me. Whosoever comes to me and believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. And God, if there's anyone here today who wants that faith, who wants that eternal hope, who wants that security of knowing that they will be with the God of all creation who loves them and died on the cross for them and rose from the dead for them. God, I pray that today they would put their faith in you and they would have the hope of heaven in their hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.